Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains... Obscenities and profanities. I told him to move on, but he continues to use profanity. That is, if you've absorbed enough profanity. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just went ahead and took down those load-bearing walls, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, June 23rd, 2017, the Center Cannot Hold edition of the show, where we talk about exactly why we all just cannot get along. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Leon Sphinx Repair. Over endless centuries, even the best-built Sphinx starts to fray a little at the edge. Paws grow rounded and noses drop off when some jerk French dude shoot them off with a cannon. Leon Sphinx Repair will make your aging stone behemoth look new again. Our professional Sphinx restoration crew will make your man-headed lion look just like new. From New York stoops to the Giza Plateau, no job is too big or too small. Answer the promo riddle, which creature has one voice, yet becomes four-footed, two-footed, and three-footed, and receive 20% off a Sphinx wash in detail. Leon Sphinx Repair. Turning back the clock on 3,000 years of history. Just like the Republicans. Turning and turning in the widening gear, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed. And everywhere, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. I participate in a lot of social media groups on Facebook and Twitter. They're just little slices of interest dedicated to, I don't know, different podcasts I listen to or some of the games I play. They're a respite from the wash of people having birthdays and babies and the endless crashing tide of politics. Or rather, they, they, they used to be. Because uh, the other morning I was browsing through one of my role-playing game groups. And the moderator posted a brief statement on how he was receiving death threats because he'd made a rather bland political statement that disagreed with the chosen political position of another gamer. Let me be clear about this. This is a forum where grown adults talk about elves and orcs, and someone grew so mad over a minor political disagreement, they threatened to murder a person they've never actually met in the flesh. Because that's America. Last week, 
A man walked onto a baseball field in Virginia with a rifle where a group of congressional representatives and staffers were practicing for a charity game between the different wings of the, of the Congress. And he asked which side was playing. And upon hearing that they were Republicans, that's when he opened fire. All of that is also America. The fella had spent the last few months posting vehement anti-Trump rhetoric on his social media feeds. And he'd volunteered for the Sanders campaign. Not that Bernie or anyone who supported Bernie bears any responsibility for that happening. It's just he's not the demographic I expect to shoot up a softball field. And hey, if it makes you feel any better, which you shouldn't, pod friends, this happy little moment in history is everywhere, not just in America. Over in England, it's those Stephen King's movie Maximum Overdrive jumped right off the screen and into reality, except, of course, the cars are driven by people and those people are killing each other because they really believe their side is so right that the other side doesn't deserve to live. Muslim terrorists mow down pedestrians enjoying a night out of the pubs, and some wanker mows down Muslims worshipping at a mosque. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I mean, despite my broad brushing of things over the two years of my oh-so-hilarious podcast, I've, I've never really worried about how things in general would turn out. I mean, I'm a student of a lot of history, a little philosophy, and a ton of public service announcements teaching me the importance of things like uh, drugs and uh, bad touches. Shira and I want to talk to you about something that's very personal, your body. Remember, it's your body and no one should touch you in a way that you feel is wrong. I'll get anybody who tries it. It's not that easy, Orko. It's hard for a young person to admit that he or she has been touched in a bad way. If you've been touched that way, don't be ashamed. Tell someone you trust, like your parents, your doctor, your teacher, or counselor, or your minister or rabbi. Right, Orko? Right on! Uh, I mean, He-Man sort of left out that uh, all the people he just listed to tell, 90% of the time... Those are the people doing the touching. Still, despite my world-weary Gen X outlook, I've held the assuming too much from a small amount in time as bad science and it's definitely bad philosophy. I mean, Mark Twain said, we should be careful to get out of experience only the wisdom that's in it and stop there lest we be like the cat that sits on a hot stove lid. She will never sit down on a hot stove lid again, and that as well, but she will also never sit down on a cold one anymore. So I've tried to keep a level head about this moment in history, to believe that cooler heads will prevail and that people want peace, stability, and generally to be left the fuck alone to watch their TV shows. But apparently we can't even achieve this. Recently ABC canceled a Tim Allen sitcom called Last Man Standing, the premise of which was Allen was playing a Joe American white dude who had to struggle with all the changes of modernity which is code for white dude doesn't like the march of time, whatever. Anyway, NBC, ABC canceled the show despite decent enough ratings for our age of television, and conservatives were not happy about it. From the petition that was put out there to keep the show alive, quote, Last Man Standing is one of the only shows on broadcast television and the only sitcom that is not constantly shoving liberal ideals down the throats of the viewer. And sadly, that is likely the reason the show has been canceled, unquote. The truth is closer to the show cost too much money to make and didn't bring in enough viewers to justify its continued production. I mean, the aforementioned petition is just shy of 400,000 signatures. By contrast, Bill Trimble's campaign to save Star Trek in 1968 generated 12,000 letters in 1968. And based on the consumer price index and factoring in the conversion equation of internet quantum letter inflation, that's easily the modern equivalent of the population of a decent-sized European country. I don't know, I'm not good at math. 
What I am saying is conservatives look at the cancellation of a mid-tier sitcom as an affront to their views when really it's just a mediocre show that didn't make enough money for the production studio, which is Fox, by the way. And uh, you know what? Conservatives, they're also kind of right about this. They don't have a voice in Hollywood or New York or any of the hubs of media creation in the country. Hell, they're barely holding on to Nashville. I mean, they're so mad that angry white right-wingers are insisting that Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, a play written 400 years ago about a man who died 2,000 years ago, is advocating the assassination of the president today because the director of the play cast Caesar as a Trump analog. You don't understand how fucking theater works. Trust me, a couple of years after the play's run at the Globe, some schlubby director in East Hedgewardshire casts Caesar as the head of the local sheep shearing committee. That's how this thing works. They just take things and swap it out. It doesn't make any sense. If you pissed off somebody who works in theater, eventually you're going to be cast as the villain in a play, particularly a Shakespeare play. On the flip side of this coin, You cannot speak on a college campus these days if your work has not been vetted to the nth degree to ensure it does not infend the campus neo-pagan vegan socialist sisterhood for equality and secular bingo. Gaia, help you if you do, because there will be a protest that might just bust out into a good old-fashioned riot. These, Tom, are your cause heads. They find a world-threatening issue and stick with it for about a week. America has always suffered from a singular problem that kind of makes it unique among nations. We're not a nation in the historical sense of the word. 5,000 years ago, a nation was the lands ruled by a sovereign. It could be an expansive empire, such as the Akkadian Empire, which dominated the cradle of civilization of the 3rd millennium BCE, or a tiny fiefdom ruled by a warlord stretching no further than the land seen from the highest point in the local geography. The people did not define the nation, the nation defined the people. The polities of ancient Greece changed this to a certain degree. The city-states of the Peloponnese created the idea of the citizens defining themselves as the nation. Rome borrowed this for its early history, but that proved untenable as the empire grew. And then for about the next 1,800 years, the status quo was more or less king equaled country. Even the commercial cities in Italy were dominated by power merchant families who became political machines in and of themselves. I mean, I guess an analog, just imagine if Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates and their families were running our own country, which they kind of are. It wasn't until 1776 that a group of rich white slave owners dusted off their ancient history books and decided to modernize the the original Greek idea of Demos Kratos, or the rule of the people. And the founders immediately ran into a simple yet incredibly profound problem. The people... We hate each other. The North didn't like the South. The South thought the North was a bunch of pricks, and the Westerners all thought the people on the coast were a bunch of soft wimps who had no idea what it was like out there having to kill all these damn Indians. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. But what they had wasn't a country. It was 13 separate state entities sharing more or less common goals around religion, economics, or keeping Africans brutally enslaved. Sometimes all three. So they cobbled together a federal system that eventually said, well, uh, this is, let me just quote from, uh, from the diary of James Madison. All right, you fuckers, we all hate one another, but we've got to make this work. Otherwise, the British, who we all hate more, or the Indians who hate us, will come along and take back everything we killed all those people for to get in the first place. Don't even get us started on how angry the slaves are. So... 
We're going to make this system where all of us live together in one country that can still do what we want to do in our home states so long as it doesn't fuck with the country making money or starting wars. Are you pricks good with that? James Madison, 1787. And that's how we became America. That worked out pretty well for about uh, 80 years. But eventually we got to the point where we hated each other more than we'd hated the British or the Indians and we had that whole Civil War thing. And that's, uh, that's when we decided there were some things you could not do in your home state, no matter how much you really wanted to, like brutally enslave an entire race of people for cheap agriculture. This never set well and was only achieved because we burned down most of the South to make it happen. And it, uh, it still doesn't set all that well today, honestly. We uh, almost had to go back and burn down the South all over again just to get them to pretend to treat black people like human beings. Still, it wasn't all bad. I mean, we had some good times. I mean, any time we had a war going on, we could usually get behind that and make us like each other more than we hated each other. I mean, usually, though, it took an entire world trying to kill each other to make that happen. See World Wars One, Two, and Two and Two-Thirds, also known as the Cold War. Though that one got a little boring towards the end. If we had a common enemy, though, we could just forget for a minute how much we couldn't stand those pricks living in the next town over. Oh, man, I hate those Shelbyville jerks. Honey, I was born in Shelbyville. And it tears me up inside. And it only got worse through the years because we just kept bringing new people in to hate. The Germans, the Irish, the Jews, the Italians, the Chinese, the Hungarians, the Mexicans, the fucking Nepalese. You ever heard any stories about the gratitude of the Nepalese people? No, you haven't, because they're shifty, ungrateful... The producers of, the, of this podcast would like to apologize for the shocking statement of bigotry and ensure the listeners that it was an ill-advised attempt at humor. We respect the Nepalese people and acknowledge their tremendous contribution to the world, and them from the mighty Gurkhas to their incredible strides to reductions of poverty and their key role in preserving the environmental sanctities of the Himalayas. With each new wave of immigrants, we gleefully hated them right up until the next wave gave the previous wave license to hate as well. America is just one long fuck you to itself. It's what makes us special. By the end of the Second World War, however, we'd started to forge a kind of common American identity. A sense of nationhood. A sense of belonging. That knit most Americans into something kind of like unity. Offer not applied to African Americans, Latinos, women, gays, or any other immigrants who had brown or yellow skin. You know what? We were even kind of working on that last part, too. After all, we decided maybe we didn't hate each other. I mean... How can you hate a guy who roots for the same sports team as you, even if he does live across the river in Kentucky? There was an all-shuck sh- sort of middle ground in America. We could all just kind of get along, and that lasted for, I'm going to be generous and say, 30 or 40 years. I mean, even after Reagan was elected, we still agreed that we may think the other side is a bunch of loony ass monkey fuckers, but we just agreed to keep that under our hats during a family cookout. Come the 1990s, though, we just fucking lost it again. And I'm going to mea culpa for the left here. We've not done right by a healthy swath of America. We were so focused on lifting up women and minorities that we ignored the poverty in middle America. I mean, we had all those Springsteen songs. They're closing down, across the railroad tracks. Woman says these jobs are going, boys, and they ain't coming back to your home. Boss was trying to tell us, but we were smug, self-righteous, condescending, and demeaning. Even if we were just in our cause, we acted like generations of poverty and oppression of minorities was the fault of white working-class people, and it wasn't. 
It was the fault of rich white people who used poor white folks of America by reinforcing cosmetic differences of race and religion and ethnicity to keep them angry and hating on one another so we wouldn't get all angry and hating on the rich fuckers running away with all the money. We liberals were supposed to keep our eyes on that, but then those rich white fuckers started giving us money, and all of a sudden we're like, uh, well, uh, you know, maybe you guys are okay? I mean, there's a lot of zeros in that check. Uh, you guys are fine. And before long, our liberal politicians were sitting at the table with with the right wing. We're both part of the same hypocrisy. But the wealthy right was also tossing raw red meat of resentment into the angry middle, chumming the water with racial tensions, cultural shifts, and just good old-fashioned religious hysteria. And it worked. The rage machine built a wall which would make Donnie's tiny peen throb. It was so high. We now live in a balkanized pseudo-state where neighbors not only don't talk to each other, they are actively throwing dog shit in each other's yards so they can make complaints to the Homeowners Association about the very shit they're throwing. Congress is the Homeowners Association, it's a metaphor, by the way. We've gathered into sullen enclaves of privilege or resentment, depending on which side of the wall you live. Out here in liberal land, we live in a bubble of happy complacency. Good jobs, tolerance, and hippie-dippy happiness in rightlandia. They are pissed off, poor, and resentful as fuck. Again, I'm talking about white people here. Everyone else, not white people, they're fucked either way, no matter which side of the wall they live on. We are right back to where we were 241 years ago. A disparate bunch of conflicting interests all determined to get ours before the other side can get theirs. Because in the richest goddamn country in the world, we are still no better than dogs fighting over a bone outside of an unlocked butcher shop. The butchers toss the bones out there for us to squabble over while they take all the meat they can eat. Freaking metaphors, okay? What small center we once had... The sense of similarity and community that allow us to do crazy shit like, I don't know, go to the moon or decide that all the shit in the Constitution about freedom really applied to everyone, not just a few rich white dudes who could afford it. It's gone. It's falling apart. We are vexed to a nightmare by a rocking cradle on overdrive, and the baby is about to be shot across the room and splat against the wall. And not in that cute Warner Brothers way either. We cannot find consensus. We cannot even find common goddamned enemies anymore. Shit, used to be the Russians were a go-to generic bad guy. Even the left could point and say that they'd lost the true meaning of socialism like they were a Christmas story gone wrong. Now we can't even agree on that. When a country cannot even come together, when it is attacked no less insidiously, if less dramatically than Pearl Harbor, we are in a shitty, shitty place. I freely admit, I am in the midst of this crisis. My center is as hollow as a glazed donut. I look upon my fellow citizens and ask, what the hell are they thinking? I speak the same language, but I don't share a common culture, the culture they embrace of small towns and country, religion, family, and respect for traditions. These are things I regard as... As disgusting, childish, treacle. While my principles of egalitarian equality, respect for individuality, and commitment to a secular morality are to my fellow countrymen nothing more than... This will be the end of human civilization, and the world will belong to a planet of apes! How can a nation whose people cannot agree on what a fact is, much less on, you know, its factualness, hope to remain a nation? Are we at the point where it is better to end this great experiment before we wind up a shrieking beaker running flaming across the lab? That's all for now from Muppet Labs. And if this is where we are, why now? Why after 241 years? What's changed? What caused the center to fall apart? Well, that answer is also simple and profound. 
The genius of the founders was not that they set up a system of government which would preserve their power and position over all others for century, although... Pretty sneaky, Death. No, they created a system, an idea, the establishment of a norm that if we all just agreed was a thing, then, so long as that thing existed, we could succeed, even flourish. The Constitution is like the frame of a house. Then, we put on laws. They were like the roof and the walls. And the furnishing was a set of commonly accepted behaviors and norms. Over the years, we've changed the furniture. We've gone from Queen Anne to the Revolution with its white male-only couches. And through the federal period and the Victorian decor and the burgeoning of the middle class during the Industrial Revolution. Art Deco stages where we won all those good wars. And then finally, we had modernism where we decided that everyone should just be able to sit on the couch. As, but, as though, but through it all, we always had a fucking couch. Our unified idea of a nation, of self, relied on these three things. The frame of the house, the constitution, the walls and the roof of the laws, and finally the furniture to make America function. But it seems these days we as a people cannot arrive on an accepted set of normal behavior. To continue my bizarre furniture metaphor, we're not even sure we need furniture at all. And you know what? You know what? Maybe we could just knock out these walls here. Are they load-bearing walls? Fine, fuck it. Who gives a shit? Just take them down. Oh, look, the walls are falling over. The roof is caving in. How did that happen? The rot in our center. The mutual agreement on how we behave is endemic. The president is an inveterate liar. And if politicians have always lied, his sheer audacity of bullshit is shocking even by political standards. Congress crafts legislation in secret, in absolute disdain of convention that will strip vital services from millions of Americans in order to give those who have everything just a little bit more. And they do this because they can. And we let them get away, from, go away with it over and over again. I mean, once you've decided to say fuck you to the sitting president when he exercises constitutional authority to seat an open position on the Supreme Court and then get away with it, everything else is pretty much on the table, right? Nazis! Actual fucking Nazis, not like grammar Nazis, are crafting policy in our nation and no one stops them. Half the fucking country is cheering them on, at least implicitly. White power shitbags hold rallies in our cities, armed to the teeth, and instead of being horrified, a good chunk of us agree with them because they're finally keeping some statues of dead traitors in place. Statues that were put there in the first place to terrify black people and maintain white hegemony. And this is fine. It's fine. Fine, fine. Young college students throw a fucking riot, not because they're opposing an unjust war or a criminal policy that disenfranchises peoples of their right, but because they don't like the scholarship of a guy speaking on campus. You know what? In my day, we wrote a fucking scathing editorial, not burn down the student newspaper office, you fuckwits. Rapist. Honest to God, pin you down and rape you were given, are given six months probation because, you know, he's a good kid. Or how about the beloved father figure who raped 60 plus women over decades and we can't even agree on whether or not he did anything wrong. We will allow simple-minded, tiny-dicked morons to terrorism, terrorize women because they don't think women should be allowed to comment on a fucking video game. We live in a world where it is perfectly okay to threaten to kill someone because they said something in a forum where we discuss the benefit of magic goddamn swords if they disagree with you. We have not only thrown out the furniture, we've cut it up, took a shit on it, and then set the entire pile on fire. 
I mean, this isn't even talking about the people with sledgehammers taking out the load-bearing walls by collaborating with an enemy, laundering money, leaking intelligence, and generally selling our country down the river so they can obtain power in defiance of our laws. Then they attack the people we entrust to investigate it and enforce those laws, and their supporters agree with them. Why? Because they and their kind of criminal they are their kind of criminal. Because they promise them gold and then they bring them shit, and the people look upon the steaming pile of turds in their hands and all agree like animatronic puppets not in a uniform that yes, yes, this corn-ridden, reeking lump of fecal material is indeed the fabled treasure we were promised. Please, sirs, may we have some more. And then they squat and grunt out another nugget, and the masses adore them. We are so bankrupt, we can't even agree on what the truth is anymore. Surely, surely, some revelation is at hand. Some second coming is at hand. We are now a broken nation, as sure as any failed empire of old. The faces on our monuments are blurred, not with time, but with neglect. We've allowed ourselves to listen to the whispered voices of the rich and powerful, or rather the shrieking of their lackeys paid to distract and divide. We no longer hold in common the idea that we are one people, a disgruntled and argumentative people to be sure, but who don't even like one another, but still one people. The pluribus in the unum, as it were. This was not done to us. We did it. We decided for ourselves. We allowed the flash and glitter of modernity to placate us and gave us nary a thought on how we keep the country running. A generation born into the lap of luxury, granted every whim and wish, looted our future for prosperity down to the kitchen sinks, and they kept it all. And their children... Bitter and apathetic, sulked in their own narcissism and gleeful cynicism, while their parents carried the future right out the front door past them, while we listened to how everything was fucked on our headphones. And the generation that followed them mixed the avarice of the first and the malaise of the second into a beast that did not slouch towards Bethlehem to be born, but demanded to be driven there in a minivan with a goddamn DVD player in the back seat. The nation, the world, we leave to the children who come behind us as a sweltering shithole where the truth is subjective and available to the highest bidder, all because we decided that this concept of community, of nations, and norms, and laws were not actually laws, but instead... No, it's more a set of guidelines and a binding ethos. And I get the irony. The old man complains that we didn't follow the rules. The irony being, if I was thought the rules were kind of dumb, who are these assholes to tell me how long my hair can be or who I can or cannot fuck? Now I see the problem. Now I see my error. We were overdue for a change of style, and instead of redecorating, we just set the place on fire. I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I worry that we are new to, now too far gone to save our spirit as Monday, and it will be left a weathered face in the desert while our descendants root through the rubble for a working outlet and an iPhone charger beneath the reeling shadows of indignant birds. And those birds are the ghost of the world that was. So sleep tight, America. You did this to yourself. You must be so fucking proud. That is it for our show this week. It was not uh, its not exactly a happy one, huh? I guess if you want optimism, you probably shouldn't base your topic on William Butler Yeats. That fucker was even bleaker than I am. Although, to be fair, he, he actually won his political struggle. Uh, I, I doubt I'll, I'll, I'll be so lucky. 
If you'd like to help others find a morose son of a bitch to depress them, to, you should rate and review this show on Apple Podcast or wherever you get the show. It, it helps me to just really bring down the tone and deny people of all hope at the end. People like that. Um, it occurs to me I, I haven't insulted Gavin this entire episode. Fuck you, Gavin! There, that's taken care of. Um, all of my bleak musings are on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. You can find the show on SoundCloud, who finally just gave up trying to take my money and gave me two free weeks. Hey, thanks, guys. And at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave Bledsoe, the not old and definitely not full of grace producer Gavin, and all the other fictional poets on the show, we want to say that it's the end of the world and we know as we know it. And uh, actually, no, we don't feel fine. We, we don't feel good at all about that, honestly. We'll see you all next week.